So the theme from Friends and the Good Samaritan told like that. It's extra papers here. Someone's leaving me notes. Good morning. So uh, it is the 25th anniversary of the show Friends. If you didn't know that, this 25 years ago, where were you? Were you watching? Were you watching Friends? And uh, beginning September 7th in New York City, there's a, uh, it's called a pop-up where they have a display of, uh, of the sets from the, from, from the show Friends. And tickets went on sale at $30 each. And for 30 days, $27 I rounded up. For 30 days though, you can go and, and walk through the set of Friends. And uh, it's sold out in a day. Uh, so thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people are going, and I even know some people here who are. I'm not going to point you out. So we did the theme to friends. You can go there, take pictures you know, in the set of like Joey and Chandler's apartment. You can take a picture in their easy chair or the recliner. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. See, you would like that when you, Joanna. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know who's going later and you can get pictures. So typically, uh, every Sunday, we say that we are one church in two locations, but today we're one church in one location, and here, filtered in amongst you, Voorheesians are some Mount Laurelites, and they're all mixed in with you, and, and we're all together as friends. Oh, look at that. I made a connection. And we're all together. Look at that. that great. Yeah, it's so cool. I'm excited. I'm typically at our Mount Laurel campus, but I'm always excited when I get to come back here, and so I invited all my friends from Mount Laurel to join us here this morning, so it's good to have you all together. Uh, we've been in, in a series at both campuses looking at the stories and the parables that Jesus told. And these were stories that had meaning beyond just a fun story to tell, but these were stories that have a, an expansive worldview or an idea or an understanding of God that was a, a large concept, larger than life even. And so Jesus would tell these stories in such a way to, to help people to be uh, uh, introduced to a different way of living life, a different way to look at the world and view the world. And he was offering God's dream. What would it look like for us to live God's dream in our world, God's dream for you and God's dream for me? What would God's dream for our neighborhoods and our church and the world look like? That was the reason he told these stories, not just because he was a good storyteller, but because the, these were stories with a big idea packed into the story. And this morning's story is probably the most famous story. And if you've been to church or if you haven't been to church, if you read the Bible or haven't read the Bible, you've heard the story of the Good Samaritan. And the challenge when there's a story that is the most familiar story anyone's ever heard is that we can easily turn off and say, well, I'm going to check my email or do something else while Rick is talking because I've heard this story before. But what I want to challenge you is to look at this story with fresh eyes. I'm going to do my best to tease out a few things from this story that you, you may, may have not heard before and ways for us to apply this story to our lives. And I believe that it will be engaging and inspiring and it will open up our eyes to God's view of the world and how we are to live in this world. And I believe that's our intention, our plan. Are you all in favor of that? 
All right, moving forward. So it's in Luke chapter 10. I'm going to challenge you to read that this story yourself later. But in Luke chapter 10, the story begins. It's not on the screen. Just let me share it with you. Jesus talks about a Jewish man who was traveling from Jericho or from Jerusalem to Jericho. And the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a very dangerous road. So as soon as Jesus begins telling the story, people would be drawn into it right away because they would think this is a dangerous road. You don't travel from Jerusalem to Jericho alone. But this gentleman chooses to do that. And of course, the reason you don't travel from Jerusalem to Jericho alone is that there's a chance that you'll be attacked. And sure enough, this man is attacked and beaten and he's uh, robbed and he is left for dead. Jesus is a master storyteller. He has everyone drawn into the story in the very first sentence. And then Jesus says that by chance, a priest was walking by. And typically, again, in Jewish culture in the first century, if you talk about a priest, it's the hero to the story. But Jesus turns the tables a little bit here, and he says that the priest saw the man and went to the other side. And then a temple assistant is the second person to come along. And the temple assistant sees the man in distress and says, goes to the other side. And it would be easy in this story in the first century for us to easily justify that these two men have other responsibilities that they can't be involved in helping a person on the side of the road. They're religious leaders, and because of, their, uh, because of their responsibilities at the temple, they would need to remain ceremonially clean. And it's possible that if they had gone and helped this person, they would become unclean. Or if the person were dead, they would be unclean. And so it's easy for us as we read this story or as the first century hearers hear this story, it would be easy to justify their inaction. Then Jesus continues the story, and it's up on the screen. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And Samaritans in most stories in the first century told by the Jews would be the enemy. They would be the antagonist to the story. But in Jesus' story, this guy is the hero. A despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Jesus had every listener's attention because a Samaritan showed compassion. And the word that Jesus uses here, the Greek word that Luke translates that Jesus used is, uh, I said at the last service, it was, it's my favorite Greek word. Since then, I've thought of another Greek word. This is the problem with pastors. We think of Greek words. And so I thought of two. I actually have another favorite for a different reason. It's a whole other message, so I won't talk about that. But this word is my favorite for this reason. The word is, the Greek word is splogna, splogna. And you have to say it like it's a very guttural word word. It's like, I imagine if, um, if you've seen Lord of the Rings and Gollum, when he says his name, you don't say Gollum. It's Gollum, 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 right? Like he's clearing his throat. That's the way you have to say splogna, splogna, splog. All right. Now I want you all to practice that. Okay. It's okay. We're in church. We're allowed to do this. Everybody say splogna, splog, right? Really? 
from, from your gut, splogna, all right? You see, all right? It's like you're hawking up a loogie, all right? It's splogna, okay? You get it, all right? So that's the Greek word. Now, the reason I, it's my favorite Greek word, and at the last service, I said I would love to get a T-shirt with that word on it, and as soon as I said that, everybody went, so I know at Christmas, I am going to, after Christmas, I'm going to open up a pop-up store selling Splogna t-shirts. But uh, so don't, don't get me one. I'll have one for you, all right? Uh, because the last service is going to take care of that. But the reason I love the word Splogna is because what it means, it's one of those words that sounds like what it means. It means intestine. It means bowel. It means your gut. All right, so when you are someone who has splogna, all right, splogna, it's coming from the gut, okay? It literally means intestine. It means you feel something in your guts or you feel as if your guts are being ripped out. It's that feeling when your insides are, chaining, are churning and it won't let you rest until you do something about it. That's the word Splogna. It's a great word, isn't it? Yeah, so you're, you're going to remember that. You're going to go splogna. At lunch, you're going to talk about intestine. See that? Splogna. Now, the priest and the temple in Jesus' store, our temple assistant, the priest and the temple assistant felt something, but they didn't feel splogna because they moved away. They saw the man in need and they moved away. But the Samaritan felt something and moved toward him. That's Splogna. Now, Splogna is used 12 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all right? The Gospels use this word, Splogna, 12 different times. And the 12 times that this word is used, it's either used about Jesus feeling splogna, like Jesus felt compassion or splogna towards people. So one time it says that Jesus was in a boat. As he comes to shore, he sees the people and they look like sheep without a shepherd. And it says that Jesus felt splogna toward them. It's used to describe how Jesus felt or it's used by Jesus to in a story about how someone felt. So last week we talked about, here in Mount Laurel, we talked about the prodigal son. And in the story of the prodigal son, the father, and I always imagine the father is waiting on his porch for his son to come home. And the story says that when he saw him far off, he had compassion on him. He had splogna. And he ran to meet him. And so this word, splogna, is only used to talk about how someone feels. Jesus is using it to talk about how someone feels or how Jesus felt. So Jesus tells the story and he says that the Samaritan man had his, his, felt like his guts were being ripped out when he saw someone else in need. But splogna is more than just a feeling. I mentioned already that it has something to do with doing as well. And we're going to see that. It's up on the screen. So going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine, and he bandages them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take 
excuse me, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. So the priest and the temple assistant may have felt something, but it certainly was not splogna. They moved away from the man. They felt something, but they moved away. The Samaritan felt something as well, and he moved toward the man. So while others stayed away and moved away, he moved toward him. He moved toward him in such a way that he got so close he was willing to soothe his hurts. He provided transportation. He provided lodging. He took the time to take care of him, and he even provided financial support now and in the future for this man. That's splogna. Martin Luther King, in his book, Strength to Love, discusses the story of the Good Samaritan. A quote is up on the screen. He says, I imagine that the first question which the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But by the very nature of his concern, the Good Samaritan reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? You see, there's a distinct difference. One is splogna, the other is something else. Because splogna is feeling and doing. It's a feeling deep inside that moves you to action. And so Jesus ends his story by saying to his listeners, he says, now go and do the same. Go and have splogna towards others. Have love and put your love into action. Have a love that will move you, a love that only can come from God and will move you towards people in love. That we should love God and love people. And man, that's good stuff. But here is the challenge in this story and in this teaching to this point. What happens here on Sunday morning is easier than Monday morning. And so to have a feeling or to know something here is fine, but to do it there is so much more challenging. And if we are most honest... There are times when we have known the feeling, that gut-wrenching feeling that needed a response from us. And we were willing to know it and feel it, but we weren't ready to do it. And we ignored the feeling, waited for it to go away, and just moved on with life. But love is more than just a feeling, right? It means doing. And we could easily justify this in the same way the, uh, the, 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 the priest and the temple assistant could easily justify it. We can easily justify it by saying, hey, we're busy. We had a lot going on. I can't save the world, people. And we can easily justify our inaction. But then that becomes our challenge, is how do we do this? Now, I'll give you a little secret. Uh, when I prepare a message, I uh, use four questions as a template when I'm preparing a message on Sunday morning. I'm going to let you in behind the curtain, all right? 
you, you, you bastard this, you can do it yourself. All right. Uh, four questions. All right. You, you, I, I, I ask these four questions and I, and then I, I try to answer them and I believe that we answer them on Sunday mornings. Okay. The first question is what do we need to know? So for instance, in this morning's message, what we needed to know is the word splogna. We need to know that splogna is, is about moving us, that we, it's about love, it's feeling, but it's also about doing. It's about loving, it's about that gut feeling inside of us that inspires us to do something. So we need to know the word splogna. Why do we need to know that word? Because it's real easy for us to just see the world and see what's going on in the world and to have that feeling and to ignore that feeling and to ignore what's going on and to, and to be even desensitized to the things that are going on in the world and the things that are going on in our, in our homes or our workplaces and to just ignore that. So we need to know this word and we need to know why we need to know this word. And oftentimes I've heard pastors and preachers, and that's where it ends. And the challenge is when we only end with what we need to know and why we need to know it, is we become really good at Bible trivia. And that's it. The challenge is how can we take what we've learned and why we need to learn it and apply it to our lives. So the second questions, the second two questions, which are harder and require effort for me and you as we engage in the process together is now, what do I need to do? What do we need to do? Because we now know this word splagna and why do we need to do it? What do we need to do? And why do we need to do it? And so those two questions, I believe, are answered in something, uh, in, in a few verses earlier in the chapter. So we're going to go backwards now. This is why I challenge you to read Luke chapter 10 yourself, because I'm reading the story backwards. But you could read it forward and see how Jesus actually told the story, but, or how Luke wrote the story down. But I'm going to read it to you backwards, not exactly backwards, because then that's probably a whole other meaning, right, when you listen to albums backwards. Remember that? <laughs> Yeah, it's not that. Oh, sorry. I digress. Forgive me. I'm preaching twice this morning, all right? Mount Laurel people, you understand. We do this one time, right? We do it so good, we do it once, all right? In Voorhees, they got to do it twice. They have the practice service and then the real service, you know. <sighs> Forgive me. So, to get to the why, we have to look at the context Context is king in this place, uh, in this instance. Jesus is having a conversation with a man, and they're having a conversation about life. And the man answered a question of Jesus, which is the greatest commandments? And the man said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Basically, he said, you need to love God and love people. And then Jesus told him, right, do this and you will live. And then he went on and told the story about the Good Samaritan. Do this and you will live. Now context is king. This guy was alive. He's standing, breathing, and speaking to Jesus. Yet Jesus tells him, if you want to live, you need to love God and love people. And then he tells a story about using the word, with the word splogna, talking about feeling and doing combined. And it begs the question, is it possible to live without really living? 
and probably in your worlds that you live in, in your work world, in your home world, in your neighborhood, you know people who are living, but they're not really living. And there may have been times, and you may be in a time where you're not really living right now. You're living, but you're not really living. There are seasons of life that we all go through where we're just not really living. And there are times and there are people who choose to live a less than kind of life. And I believe there's a reason why people are choosing and why people choose to live a less than kind of life. I think the Bible speaks clearly to that in the opening chapters of Genesis, chapters 1, 2, and 3, one of my favorite sections of the Bible because it describes our world in so clear and so, uh, uh, so uh, distinct ways. That there's been this fundamental defect in humanity's operating system. That in Genesis 1 and 2, there's a world that was created that was about humanity loving God and loving people. And then a defect entered our world, and the Bible calls it sin, right? And, the, and the, that humanity made a choice, and their choice was to go after something other than God, to not love God and not love people. And that now became humanity's default mode. And it's something that happens to all of us naturally. Our default mode is selfishness. And our default mode is self-absorption and self-idolizing and self-indulgence and self-obsession. And that's become our present operating system for all of humanity. And without Jesus' intervention, that's the world that we're a part of and that's the world that we live in. And the kingdom or God's dream is where we get to introduce another way to live. A way that puts God in control and where we choose to love God and love people and introduce God's kingdom into the world. Now, if you think that maybe I've gone overboard that this whole idea of self-centeredness, oh yeah, I'm not self-centered. Here, I'll give you a little example to prove that we all are. All right? Do this. Uh, get a group photo together and have someone take a group photo and then announce you're going to post it on Facebook. Every person will look to see how they look in the picture. And if every other person is cross-eyed, it doesn't matter because I look good in the picture, right? You've seen it. Go on people's Facebook pages. You'll see it. On their page, they look outstanding in all their pictures. But go to their friends' pages where their friends have posted pictures, and they're all doing, you know, like, you know they, they, look, they look awful. Why is that? Because we're self-centered. We're self-indulgent. We're self-absorbed. It's who we are. We think life is a movie about us, and everyone else is just bit players in our story. That is the, uh, the defective operating system that we're in. But through Jesus, we can have a reoriented life. A life that is no longer centered on ourselves. It becomes centered on loving God and loving people. And, and through Jesus' death and resurrection on a cross, 
that he can reign in our hearts and lives forever. And so Jesus tells this man, do you want to really live? Do you want real life? He says, do this. And then he tells a story about the Good Samaritan. What's the do then? The do is be moved by love. Do this. Be moved by love and you will live. Be moved by love. Don't just ignore the feeling. Don't just ignore that gut reaction that's going inside your soul because it's easy on Sunday morning to ignore that and just go outside and eventually move on with life and it goes away. Do this, be moved by love, and you will really live. The father saw the son, and he had compassion, splagna. He was moved, and he ran. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe would not perish but have eternal life. God loved the world. He was moved and sent Jesus. Do you want to really live? Be moved by love and you will live. See, I want my life to be known as the person who went over. I don't want to be known as the one who saw the need, who felt the need and went the other direction. I want to be known as the one who, who, who said, what will happen if I don't? I want our church to be known as the church that went over, that asked the question, what would happen if we didn't? I mean, really, we're living that out right now. Why would 35, 40 people, whatever the number is, choose to leave a perfectly good church and go to another town? I mean, why would we do that? Unless we saw a need, unless we had a gut reaction, unless we said there are people not only here, but there who need to really live. And we have something, we've discovered something, and we want, we have to share it. We need to share it. And that's why we leave. And that's why we go to another town 10 miles down the road every Sunday. And that's why we drive a trailer that, this is, it, the trailer got the Sunday off, all right? It's parked down there at the bank, uh, excuse me, the meeting place, and, and uh, you can see. And if you have a truck, let me tell you, I can tell you how to use your splagna. All right, all right. I want to talk to you about your truck and Splagna after church, all right? So see me out in the lobby if you have a truck because we would love for you to experience Splagna. At 8 a.m., right, Rob? 8 a.m. on Sunday morning, you load that trail. Anyway, Kevin, he's here too. They're all, all my truck drivers got their, got their Sunday off. Isn't it great? Why would we set up chairs in a space and put out flags and run technical wires every Sunday? When I get to preach on Sunday morning here, I'm almost bored. Like, I feel like I should be setting things up because there's chairs already out in the space, right? I'm like, I have nothing to do until church starts, right? But why would we do that? I think it's because of Splogna. I think it's because we have this gut reaction and we said, you know what, we want to be moved by love. We believe there are people who need to hear about Jesus and they're not just here, they're over there. And when we get there, we're going to introduce 
introduce them to this Jesus who has changed my life and changed our lives, and he can make a difference in their life too. Moved by God to such a holy discontent that we can't sit still, that we have to go move and do it, that we don't want to move away from the need, we want to move towards it. Do this. Be moved by love. And Jesus says, you will live. I don't know what that gut reaction is, that thing that's inside of you that it's easy to ignore. I don't know what that is, but I want to challenge you. Don't ignore it. Don't let it go away. Hold on to it and, and do something. Move towards it. Do something about it. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's mending a broken relationship that you know that you need to correct it. And when you have that feeling, you endure it and try to ignore it and hope it goes away. Don't do that. Move towards it. Be moved by love to have the uncomfortable conversation with that person. Maybe it's about volunteering here at Hope. Maybe there's an area that you have heard us talk about and you've said, yeah, I should do that, but I'm not gonna say anything. If they don't find out, I won't tell them either. And there's inside there, it just churns. I'm gonna pray that it doesn't go away until you're moved by love. I don't know what it is. But if you do this, Jesus says, if you're moved by love, you will really live. No longer living a less than life, but a real life that is inspiring and engaging and challenging that will lead you to ask questions at the train station and ask questions in the, in the, in the gas station parking lot where you say, what if I don't? What would happen to be moved by love and to really live? Will you stand with me for closing prayer? And so God, I thank you for this text. I thank you, God, for Jesus who told this story, most famous story. And God, I pray that this story would not leave us quickly, but it would, it would linger in our hearts. And God, there, that that feeling that we have, that churning in our gut would not go away too quickly. And that God, we would be moved by love. That we would be inspired to do something. God, I don't know what that is, but I know that you inspire and move each of us. So I pray, God, that it would be happening in the, in the hearts and in the guts of each of us. God, maybe it's here, maybe it's in our neighborhoods, maybe it's in our, at our gas station. God, move us so that we would bring your kingdom, you'd bring your dream into our world. that God, we would bring heaven into earth and that God, we would see our towns and our communities changed. God, we believe you're a big God who's capable of handling our small challenges and doing great things. 
And now, God, I pray as we go that the men and women in this space would know that you love them beyond measure, that you love them more than they could ever imagine, that no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, that you, Jesus, chose to leave your throne in heaven to die on a cross, to be resurrected so you could live and reign in our hearts and lives forever. And that, God, there's a world out there that is desperate to know of that kind of love. And I pray, God, that we would be moved to bring your love into this world. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Just have a great day.